Amen. Good morning again. And thank you so much for being with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark. Chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 21. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Okay, hopefully you've made it there by now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read these verses together. And they, that is Jesus and the four disciples that He called that we learned about just a few weeks ago. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at His teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately, there's Mark's favorite word, there was in in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once... His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Father God, may we see the glory and the fame of Jesus who has authority over all powers. In this text this morning, speak to us, change us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I have four children. They range in age from 4 to 10. We have to teach them lots of things. We have to teach them to tie their shoes. We have to teach them to watch for cars when they cross the street. We even have little songs that we sing to help them with that. So we have a little rhyme. Y'all are going to make fun of me, so brace yourself. But we sing, when you go to cross the street, look out where you put your feet. Look both ways and be alert. Because if a car hits you, it's going to hurt. You like that? Well, you know, we just got to do what we got to do. I don't even know where it came from. We have to teach them how to eat healthy. We have to, we have to teach them to play ball. We have to teach them to read. Some of them pick up on these things faster than others. One of the lessons that I've never taught my children, I've never had to teach them. There are a few things they come here knowing how to do. I never had to say, now breathe. It comes natural. Right? You know what else I never had to say? I never had to teach them how to rebel against authority. Well, they came here knowing how to do that, didn't they? They came here expecting the world to bow down and meet their needs. We see it very early with those infants that lay in that crib and they cry and you get there, mom, and you try to feed them and they're not interested in that. 
And you try to reposition them and they're not interested in that. And you realize that the only thing they're crying for is because they wanted you to hold them. And moms, you get suckered in and you go, oh, they just, they just love me. No, no. That cry is, I'm the center of this world. And you will come to my beck and call. And they train us quickly, don't they? Kind of like a puppy. What do puppies do? They come and they bring that little ball and they lay it in front of you and they bark until you pick it up. And you know what that dog is doing? Training you to throw that ball when he says so. And you throw that ball and you watch what happens. The more you throw, the more he'll come. And one day he'll sit at those feet and he'll bark, bark, bark. And you'll say, go away. And he's not going to go away because he knows if he barks long enough, you'll finally give him exactly what he wants. Our children are the same way. If, we, if they cry long enough, this is why some of you moms haven't ever let your babies cry it out and they're three years old and they're still driving the daddies crazy because mama didn't have enough courage to say, fine, I'm going to shut the door and forget you exist. Dads don't have quite so much trouble with that. Boop. I never had to teach my child to rebel against me as a parent. Some of you saw that just a minute ago. Because they come here knowing how to stomp their foot and tell me no. Don't they? You've all seen it. We see it all over the place. We used to live in a world where a child stomped their foot and said no, and that child was rebuked and corrected. We now live in a world where that child stomps their foot and says no, and parents laugh at how cute they are and give them whatever they want. And then we can't understand why they don't respect authority. Children show up rebellious. We don't have to train them to be anarchists. Anarchy is within our sinful flesh. Isn't that essentially what Paul did? Paul, excuse me. Isn't that essentially what Adam did? Isn't that essentially what Eve did? God, I don't need you. I got me and I'm good enough. Don't come telling me what to do. We're Americans, so we get a double dose. It's not just that our flesh screams against authority. Our whole culture says nobody commands us. We're a democratic people. Get over yourself, okay? Democratic means we all come together and we all have a vote. But at the end of the day, that means we have to finally submit to the rule of all. Just because it's your opinion doesn't mean you get to do it. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was authoritative. You know, the world loves Jesus. As long as we only talk about the parts of Jesus that the world loves. The world loves some aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. The world loves Jesus that cared. The world loves the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? That's sweet and kind. People love the stories when Jesus heals the blind and helps the lame to walk. But people don't talk a whole lot about the authoritative teachings of Jesus. You see, people like to present this picture of nice Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, he was the nicest, most loving man that ever walked on the face of the planet. But he was also authoritative. The Bible teaches us that when Jesus spoke, division came. People had to make a decision when he spoke. They chose to either follow or they chose to reject. And when that happened, it created immediate division between those who were following Jesus and those who were rejecting Jesus. You know, I want you to know this morning that you, as a follower of Jesus, well, let me back up. You are not a follower of Jesus unless you have recognized, acknowledged, and submitted to the authority of Jesus.
We don't get to take Jesus as a nice guy that will give Him whatever we want. Jesus says, I am Lord. And we will follow Him or we won't, but we don't get to create our own rules. When Jesus entered the synagogue in Capernaum, the Bible says He went in on the Sabbath and He was teaching. Now Capernaum was a large area. 10,000 people is what the estimated population of Capernaum is at this time. Okay, So when we talk about Jesus walking into this synagogue, it wasn't like Jesus walked into a gathering of 20 or 30 people. This is a large setting. This is a large setting where the, 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 the control over the synagogue was handled very carefully. Jesus had to convince the rulers of the synagogue that He had a place to sit among them. He had to receive permission to teach. Jesus had been preaching and teaching. He had a band of merry men following Him. Mary, men, nobody like that. Okay, that's fine. Four, four disciples that we know of for sure that had followed him from Galilee into Capernaum. We got an idea about what it is that Jesus had been teaching. Why? Because Mark gives us a, a summary of it in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus shows up. That, a, a city or town, a gathering of 10,000 people. So perhaps there were four, five, six hundred people that had crowded into this little synagogue. We don't know for sure. But there was a large gathering of people that had come together on the Sabbath. And they showed up to hear what teaching was going to be brought to them. And they were used to hearing teaching from the scribes or others who quoted the authority of this one and this one and this one. And they, they worked to talk about what everybody else before them had talked about. And instead, Jesus shows up. And the Bible says that when Jesus showed up, He showed out, and folks were amazed. When's the last time you were amazed at the teaching of Jesus? When's the last time that the Word of God caught you by surprise? Took the breath out of you? Do you recognize the authority of Christ? Four things I want us to see this morning. The first thing, before we're going to ever recognize the authority of Jesus Christ, we've got to be willing to sit under Jesus' teaching. The Bible says they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath day he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who has authority. Sit under the teaching of Jesus. If you want to recognize the authority of Jesus, you've got to sit under it. You've got to be exposed to His teaching. And let me say, you've got to be exposed to all of His teaching. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. We can't expect to just spend our time just lollygagging through just this verse or that verse and eventually get out. We need to be exposed to the teaching of Christ in a systematic way. There's a reason that I preach through books of the Bible because I want you guys to be exposed to the hard things of the Scripture. I want you to be exposed to them systematically and over a period of time. I want to make sure that I don't fall into the trap of only preaching the things that are comfortable for me and the things I want to preach. And if we tie ourselves to a book at a time, it forces me as your pastor to wrestle with issues that I might not just wrestle with because they're not exactly fun. Maybe they're not exciting. Maybe they don't enjoy, or excuse me, when I say fun and exciting, maybe it's because they're, they're overwhelming or intimidating, Right? Maybe there are things I just wouldn't wrestle with because I don't feel like dealing with controversy. But if we find ourselves working through books of the Bible, we have to face these things. Sit under it. But notice there, sit under. Not argue with Jesus, not debate Christianity, but sit under the teachings of Jesus. 
Listen. Unlike his contemporaries, Jesus didn't appeal to the line of teaching that preceded him. He didn't need to rely on experts in the law. He spoke as prophet, priest, and king. He spoke of the kingdom of God as the prophet proclaiming the future, as the priest who could make atonement, and as the king who compelled his hearers to make a decision. Do you recognize that? The others would have stood up and said, this is what these people have said. Have a good day. Jesus stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord, repent and believe. We mourn the passing of Billy Graham this week. Can I tell you that the power of Billy Graham was not found in Billy Graham. The power of Billy Graham was found in the Holy Spirit that empowered him in the Word of God that he preached. He preached with authority because he preached the Word of God. If we were to, were to summarize Billy Graham's sermons in one thing, we would probably have to summarize them with these words. The Bible says, because that's what Billy Graham said over and over and over again. Billy Graham said he wasn't a very good preacher. He was just a decent communicator with a really, really good message. I'm going to tell you something. He spoke with authority because he spoke the Word of God. The Word of God carries authority. And when Jesus spoke, the people were brought to a point of decision. They had to choose. Choose you this day whom you will follow. Jesus said, repent. When a man stands in front of you and says, repent, you're forced to make a decision. You either will or you won't. Jesus stood in front of them and he said, the kingdom of God is fulfilled. It's here. I am in your presence. Now repent. Repent. The people were forced to make a decision right then whether or not they would continue to follow the status quo or they would trust Jesus. To sit under Jesus' teaching is to be affected. This is shown especially by the demoniac in this passage. We're going to get to that in a minute. Now that's the climax of this passage. But to sit under the teaching of Jesus is to be affected. No one can follow Jesus until they have heard Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. To encounter Jesus is to be changed. To be different. Sitting under Jesus' teaching is why personal Bible study is important. Because we need to consume the Word and allow it to affect us. This is why attending corporate worship is important. Because you need to be exposed regularly to the teachings of Jesus. And can I say that Jesus' teachings are not the same as Oprah or Dr. Phil? Jesus' teachings are not the same as sound bites you find on Twitter or Snapchat? This is why I'm not a fan of Sarah Young and Jesus calling. Because Sarah Young writes in the first person as if Jesus were speaking directly through her to you. You don't need the words of Sarah Young. You need Jesus. Sit under the teachings of Jesus. But again, that's still not enough. You must submit to the authority of Jesus. Now notice what may be the scariest thing in this entire passage. This demon-possessed man was in the synagogue. And no one else noticed. Perhaps he had always been in the synagogue. There was a demon among them and no one even noticed. How can we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit among us when we turn our gaze away from Jesus? When we invite all sorts of teachings other than the Word of God? When we rest the authority or when we trust the authority of everyone except Jesus, demons may creep in unannounced. You can sit under Jesus' teaching and know all about Jesus, but you have to take the next step. You have to submit to Jesus. This demoniac had sat under the teaching of many and had never been confronted. The demon had never been confronted. Evil moved among them freely and had never been confronted. 
How dangerous is it to consider that evil may move in your own life freely and you've never confronted it? How dangerous is it to know that even in our own midst it's possible for the demonic to be actively at work and unless we have the courage to speak with authority of the Word of God, it will move and work among us and never be held in check. How can the Holy Spirit be hindered in His work among us when we allow evil to live among us without being confronted with the Word of God? But can I say to you also that it's not just enough to hear Jesus, you have to sit. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is becoming a very popular speaker and teacher. He's a professor of psychology in Canada. You've probably, some of you have probably seen him on Facebook or otherwise. He's recently released a book. But he puts all of his, all of his, um, all of his uh, teachings, lectures, that's what I'm looking for, online, on YouTube. Lots of young men are flocking to this guy. He speaks often of the Bible's teachings and even of Jesus' teaching. In fact, I've heard him explain some biblical texts in engaging ways that many preachers could learn from. He knows the Word of God better than most of you, but he is not a Christian. He doesn't claim to be a Christian. He's not submitted to the authority of Jesus. Instead, he cites and follows the direction and teachings of Carl Jung, who advocated for a return to a sort of primitive paganism. Carl Jung was a, psycholog- uh, 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 a psychologist in the uh, early middle part of the 20th century. Now, most of you studied Freud in high school. Carl Jung was one of his contemporaries. But in many ways, it's Jung that's had more impact on our culture. Theologian Peter Jones says that Carl Jung has more to do with the paganism within our culture than any other single figure in history. Jordan Peterson is a Jungian psychologist. I have a hard time saying that word and making it sound right, okay? He's German. The Germans, they do all kind of weird things with their letters. I think technically it's Jung. Jung, Jung. Y'all get it. It's a J, but they don't pronounce it that way like, like, like we do out here in the hinterlands of Kershaw County. And I can assure you that in Calpins, they ain't got a clue what to do with it. So, so Jordan Peterson here is a decent fella. He has some good things to say. He knows the Bible and can explain it in ways that will put you on the edge of your seat. But he doesn't belong to Jesus. Folks, you can know all sorts of things about Jesus and not belong to Jesus. Notice the authority here. There was no spell, no holy water, no incantation, just the Word of God from the Son of God. The Word has power. The demons know Him and they shudder, but they don't belong to Him. Why? Because they don't submit, at least not willingly. We're going to get to that in a minute. Folks, let me assure you this morning that knowing a little bit about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, do not leave this place until you've made things right with Jesus. Today can be the day of your salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you will not be saved unless you have given over everything to Him as your Savior and Lord. We don't get to have part of Jesus. Jesus takes all of us And He gives us all of Himself in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. The authority though. We submit to the authority of Jesus. What is this authority? What does it look like? Just the Word of God. This was unlike anything they would have ever imagined. 
They would have imagined that if somebody were going to cast out a demon, there would need to be a big spell, a big ceremony. Maybe they need holy water. They need to throw ashes or build a fire. Jesus does none of those things. How do we know Jesus has authority? Because when Jesus speaks, demons shut up and listen. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus said, you hush and come out. And the Bible says he did. You want to know about authority and power? Jesus didn't beg. Jesus didn't plead. Jesus didn't do all sorts of things and threaten. Jesus said, hush and come out. And the Bible says the demon left. Folks, listen to me. The day will come when you will submit to the authority of Jesus. You have the choice to submit to his authority today in this life, in salvation, and experience all the gifts that belong to Jesus. Or you will submit to his authority in judgment when the end of all things is at hand and Jesus stands before and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. You will worship him as Savior. Or you will worship Him as your tormentor as He throws you into the lake of fire. The choice is yours. Will you follow Jesus? Will you trust Him? Will you submit to His authority? But third this morning, following Jesus, recognizing His authority, it means that we've got to sit under His teaching, submit to His authority. It also means that we have to endure the exorcism. Folks, I've never said that in a sermon in my whole life. Never wrote it. Endure the exorcism. We sound Pentecostal, so hang on. Exorcisms in the Scripture are rarely pretty events. As the demons leave the body, they try to hurt, maybe even destroy their host. The Bible says that Jesus said, Hush, be silent, come out. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out. How do you think that man felt on the back end of that? I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes when Jesus changes you, it takes a little while before you can give Him the glory that He deserves. Because it hurts. It's painful. We've got to be willing to endure the exorcism. We've got to be willing to endure the work of Jesus as He drags those demons out of our body and as He peels away the sin. Coming to Jesus is not comfortable. He changes everything. Rosaria Butterfield is one of my favorite examples. Rosaria Butterfield was saved from a life of, 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 of sin and paganism. She was saved from a life of, of, of ardent homosexual um, advocacy. She hated Christians. She hated Jesus. She hated the church. And then this senior adult elderly pastor and his wife began to befriend her. Some of you think you got nothing left to offer in the church. I'm going to tell you something, old people. And I say that with respect. Senior adults, listen to me. You have love and patience and time that those of us in these years of life don't have right now. Do you hear me? I've got three kids playing baseball this year. Time is the one thing I don't have. Okay? We would love. To cook a meal every night and have somebody different in our home. And we'd love to love on them and talk to them and spend time. You know what they're going to do if they come over to my house for dinner? They're going to walk out a wide-eyed. They're going, we ain't never going back to that place now. Ever. Ever. Because kids are going to come in nasty and muddy and dirty. Me and Angela are going to be like throwing things. And I don't mean kids. I mean throwing clothes and throwing sandwiches. And, 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 and somebody's going to come in and we're going to say, we just want to love you in the name of Jesus. And they go, thank you. We're good. Have a good day. 
Man, some of you that have become empty nesters, listen, you got a unique opportunity to love on people. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. You say, well, i got my own grandkids. Listen, your grandkids will be okay without you for a night or two. Okay? They will. Matter of fact, the less you see them, the more they're going to appreciate you. You think I'm kidding. Look, my kids cut backflips when their grandparents show up. Grandparents, if you'll stay gone for a week, they'll be real excited to see you. They'll forget about the way you spoke to them the last time, and they'll hug your neck. Anyway, let's move on. I made that point, though, right? Those of you that have the time need to use the time. Retirement is not biblical. It's American. And if God has released you from the burden of some of your everyday work, that means he has empowered you. To invest more heavily in his kingdom. What a privilege. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Rosaria Butterfield, though, uh, was, was befriended by this senior adult couple. He was a pastor and his wife. And they just began to love her right where she was. Over time, she began to think that perhaps there was something to this whole Jesus thing. What if it was true? What if Jesus really loved her right where she was? But she referred to her conversion as a train wreck. Because when she came to Jesus, she lost everything. She lost her tenured position as a professor of English. She lost her community. She lost it all. Hear her words. Then one ordinary day I came to Jesus open-handed and naked. In this war of worldviews, Ken, that's the pastor I was speaking to you about. Ken was there. Floyd, that's his wife, was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed. And I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. But the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, He could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first, then passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we need to be ready to wrestle with the reality That the exorcism of Jesus turns worlds and lives upside down. I'm telling you today, give your heart to Jesus. I'm telling you that when you do, He's going to wreck you. Now church, you listen to me. If you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you need to be prepared to pick up the pieces for those around us who have their lives wrecked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In literature, there's no greater picture of this, I don't believe, than C.S. Lewis gives us in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And maybe some of you have seen the movies, maybe you've read it to your kids. The movie does a terrible job of this. So if you've seen the movie, you haven't read the book, go pick the book up and read this part. Kevin, you agree? It's awful, isn't it? So in the movie, there's a little boy named Eustace, and C.S. Lewis handles it so well. His name was Eustace, and he said, and he almost deserved that name because he was such an annoying, aggravating little snot. And in the book, he's just a spoiled, rotten brat, and he's told not to do things, but he's like those kids I told you about. Nobody had to teach him to rebel against authority. He just did. And so one day, they come across this treasure, this treasure, and, and they say, don't touch it. It's, it's evil. It's, it's cursed. But Eustace, being greedy and, and rebellious, doesn't care what anybody says. And so he goes, and he, he picks up this gold bracelet, and he puts it on his arm. And immediately, now this is fantasy, so work with me. Immediately when he does, the book teaches us, or the book tells us, that he was turned into a dragon. Little boy turned into a dragon. And over the course of pages in that book, and maybe even chapters, he begins to regret and, and, and just be so sad at what's happened in his life. 
He begins to recognize the sin in his life, but he can't do anything about it now because he's a dragon. And he works diligently to pull the dragon skin off, but the only thing he essentially does is sheds the skin. And there's more dragon skin. There are layers and layers up underneath of it. But then he encounters Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure in C.S. Lewis's stories. And he says this, the very first tear that the lion made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself other three, the other three times. Haven't we been there? How many times have you tried to peel off the sin in your life and thought you were free, only to discover that it still clung to you like a weight that wouldn't let go? The Bible says, or excuse me, C.S. Lewis goes on to write that there was, there it was, there it was. It was lying there on the ground. See, when I peeled it off, it didn't hurt. Why? Because we never get rid of it. We need help. There it was, lying on the ground, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft, as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. And then the lion caught hold of me, and I didn't like that much. For I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. He threw me into the water and it smarted like anything but only for a moment. After that it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. And after a bit the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. Folks, the process of exorcism is excruciatingly painful. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to submit to his authority, you've got to be willing to endure the pain. He's going to strip away everything, and he's going to leave nothing there but what he can use for his glory. Are you willing? Are you willing to allow him to strip away the demons of drug abuse in your life, of alcoholism in your life, the demons of pornography in your life, the demons of pride in your life? Are you willing to allow him to pull it all away and to leave you standing there exposed, trembling and afraid, but to know that in the midst of it, he's holding you? Jesus looked at that demon and he said, hush and come out and he left and the man hit the floor. He hit the floor right there, convulsing, foaming at the mouth. When he hit the floor, maybe he busted his head open and bled everywhere. He left a rumpled, crumpled mess on the ground. And Jesus stood victorious over a destroyed man. Listen to me, Jesus will destroy you. But when he is finished, he repairs the wounds. And he makes you into something you never knew you could be. Are you willing? Are you willing to allow him to exercise the demons? Can I tell you something? A lot of people are demon possessed and they don't know it. Because if they knew it, they'd be terrified. A lot of you need to be praying, Lord Jesus, show me the sin in my life. And then, Lord God, rip it out. Destroy it, and Lord, if you have to hurt me in the process, hurt me for Lord God. I will be hurt in your hands. Do you trust his hands? Do you trust him as the surgeon with the scalpel to cut away the cancer and to leave the healthy flesh? 
This is the God that we serve. This is our King, Jesus. Submit to his authority. Endure the exorcism. And then finally this morning, live out the change. Watch, watch. Jesus gives you the power to do what he has called you to do. I'm going to say that again. Jesus gives you the power to do what he has called you to do. Jesus never called anyone to do anything that he did not equip them to do. We're going to do something we don't often do, but I want you to look at the person beside you and say, Jesus gave you everything you need. I want you to do it right now. He has given you everything you need. Everything you need in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. What a privilege. If you've endured the pain of conversion, if you've seen the light of the gospel and the hope, of Jesus, uh, the hope in Christ, live it out. Why? Because it is through the living out that you honor the God who saved you and it is through the living out that you open eyes of others to experience the same change. Come back to the text. That's where we live. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out and they were all amazed. Did you see that? They were all amazed and questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now I want you to envision with me this story happening just like this. I want you to envision Jesus standing up. He preaches. Dude stands up and goes, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God? And Jesus says, you unclean spirit, hush your mouth and come out. And the man hits the floor. He shakes around for a minute, spits something out on the ground. Then he jumps up, shakes a couple hands and walks out the back door. That's a Benny Hinn crusade. Is that too far? Okay. They looked around because they're not stupid. People have this thought that suddenly in the first century people were dumb for some reason. No. Look, he hits the floor and then he gets up and his life is different. It's changed. If the man's life didn't change, the people would have assumed that Jesus was a charlatan and the man was an actor. It was because of the changed life in this man that the message of Jesus had credibility and the fame of Jesus began to spread widely. When? Immediately. They saw something change in this man's life right then. Jesus enabled this demon-possessed man to demonstrate Christ's love and power to others. The, the changed life gave credibility to the, to the message of Jesus. And listen to me. Your changed life gives credibility to the message of Jesus for others. What does it mean to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ? It certainly means to proclaim the love of Christ, the good news of Christ. But don't miss this. It means to live a life that is changed by the gospel. I mean radically changed. If, if we read the Bible, and I do, and if we trust the Bible, and I do, every word of it, then it teaches me that when people looked at followers of Jesus, they were amazed because something was different. Something had changed. 
They were brought from death to life. They were rescued from paganism. They were rescued from all sorts of things. And folks, that's the reason that testimonies in the church are so powerful. Man, it's amazing to see those people stand up and to speak of the power of God to rescue. Many of you have powerful testimonies. Teddy Elliott's testimony, one of my favorites of all time. One of my favorites of all time. Because when God saved Teddy, he saved him. You know what, Teddy, he got to work. He saved him from all sorts of mess. Y'all don't even know. I love Teddy's story because it's like this. People hear his story and they go, no way. They go, no way. We got a video of Teddy sharing his testimony. People go, that, no, that's not true. Oh, it is true. Because between Jesus and Miss Diane, they got him right. But it was mostly Jesus. Folks, that's what the gospel does. That's what happens when you begin to live it out. People hear the story of your past and they go, no way. No way. And you go, yeah, I'm not taking pride in that. Can you believe what Jesus has done? Folks, listen to me. That's what he can do for you today. Right now. Right here. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you have tried so many times and so many efforts and so many ways to peel off all the rotten, nasty sin in your own life. And it's still there. You can't seem to get free of it. It's what the writer of Hebrews says, the sin that so easily entangles, it's all over you. And I'm here to tell you today that if you'll let him, if you'll give him the authority, Jesus can kick the demons out of your life. He can rip away the sin. It's going to hurt. But on the backside, he's going to give you life that you never knew. You see, when you submit to Jesus' authority, he might grab you by the nap of the neck and throw you into something that you didn't ever expect. But here's the confidence you can have. When he throws you in the deep end, he's also given you the ability to swim. We talk about submitting to the authority of Jesus, recognizing the authority of Jesus. At the end of the day, what that means is that you make him Lord and Savior of your life. That you trust him with everything. You confess your sin. And trust Him to save you to the uttermost. And you find yourself falling forward repeatedly day after day at His feet and saying, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please continue to work in my life. This morning, this morning, right now, today, somebody in this place needs to come forward and needs to say, Lord God, I've been living in my own strength for entirely too long. Will you change me? Lord God, I've trusted in my own strength for far too long. Lord God, I submit to you. Lord, I give it all to you. All to Jesus, I surrender. We sing it. We talk about it. But at some point, we need to stand before Jesus and say, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? At some point, we say, have you come to destroy me? And then we wait. We wait for him to say, get out. Come to me. And for a month or two months or a year, it might seem like he is destroying you. But can I tell you that the only thing he's doing is grinding you down to a usable form. So that he can then use you to change the lives of others. And to grow his kingdom. 
Would you come today? Would you come today and give Him control of your life? Would you come? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we would trust you completely with our, our, our life, with our children. Lord God, with our money, with our time, that we would give it all to you. And trust you, Lord God, to do with it as you will, Lord God. We would endure the exorcism. And we would live for Jesus every day. Give us courage to trust you, God. And then, Lord God, may we go out empowered in the power of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. As Kevin leads us, would you stand this morning? And as we sing, as the Lord moves, would you come today? Would you come and surrender your heart and your life to Jesus? God, take us back.